oh, you know, I mean, these are people with far too much time on their hands, sort of spewing their verbiage out into the ever-increasing pile of garbage that is the World Wide Web. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I'm your host, Ted Hager. Man, do we have a great show for you today. Jeremy Allison, the Samba man himself, is joining us to tell us what he's been up to, why he's working at Novell, and maybe to tell us kids to get off his damn lawn. But first, SUSE Linux 10.1 reviews are coming in. Most of these are the usual light overview kind of reviews. But when madpenguin.org does a review, these guys go a little bit beyond just kicking the tires. Mad Penguin's co-founder, Adam Doxtator, did a thorough review of SUSE Linux 10.1. So I figured it was about time I'd give Adam a call. He and I have emailed before once long ago on some other review that he did, which I was also impressed with. But his 10.1 review was just over the top in favor of 10.1. So we gave him a call. Now, this guy is a New Yorker transplanted to Las Vegas, a serious guitar enthusiast. I mean, like he's got vertical collections of guitars. He's been described as more of like a rock star than he is a Linux geek. Kind of an unexpected guy for that. So let's go find out what he has to say. Adam, how's it going? It's going good. It's going good. Thanks for carving out some time to talk to us today. Uh, and I read your review on Mad Penguin, liked your review of SUSE Linux 10.1. Uh, why don't you get, start off by just telling us really quickly what Mad Penguin is, how to get started, and those kind of things. Well, we started about uh, January 12, 2003, I think is the date we launched it. And it was myself and a guy named James Hunter that uh, we were just basically playing around with, with uh, content management software. And we never intended to take it farther than, you know, maybe three or four people actually seeing it. And we kept goofing with it and putting content on there, and people started visiting. And they kept visiting and visiting and, and until the point came when it was like, I don't know, all of a sudden we're seeing, you know, we're getting up in the middle of the night and seeing that there are like 15, 16 people on the website at the same time. We're going, oh, my God, we're a hit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we've got um, readers. Yeah, yeah, we actually have. I've actually got screenshots of it. We're so proud of it. We wanted, you know, want to frame that, and put it on the wall. So we figured we'll just keep, we'll just keep this thing going. You know, we put little how tos up there, and then we started getting into reviews. And then the next thing you know, we're up into the top 100,000 websites on the net, and according to I think Netcraft. And then you know, the next year we're up in the ten, up the top 10,000. So and we're still climbing. So it's been it's been a pretty amazing ride. You know, it's 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 been insane. We never intended to get this far, but we have. That's pretty cool because that means you're edging out like so many websites because there's so many out there. There, you know, General Foods must have a uh, hundred thousand red uh, websites of their own. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, along the way, the, the funniest thing is I've been kind of watching the website's progress on on that craft, and you would not believe how many porn sites out there that we've passed. I mean, everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. Every time I look at the stats, we're, we're right next to some strange porno site. Um, <laughs> so it's like you've passed a gate each time. Hey, look, playboy.com. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting to the higher and higher quality porn at this point. Um, but uh, I think the ultimate goal is, is what we do and uh, is is we try, we're trying to reach as many people as possible and, you know, get the word out. If, if there's good software out there, we want to talk about it, and there's a ton of, ton of good software out there, open source stuff, specifically Linux. I mean, it, it, the problem is at this point, you know, we've come to, to, to like a crossroads to where we want to be able to get outside of that box. It's a little difficult to do, to get out to the people who really don't know anything about Linux. 
So right. that's so, the next step. So like sort of the beginner beginner audience is kind of something you guys want to reach out to. Yeah, you know the PC mag people and you know all the people that read all those Windows based magazines. That's the next group. So you're, you know, in other words, you're getting evangelical about it. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not like uh, you know I'm, <laughs> I don't take it that far. I guess there's some people that take it to the extreme. But uh, I just see something out there that's really special, and I think you know we need to show as many people as possible what's out there. Um, and SUSE Linux is actually one of them. Okay, so your 10.1 review, I read it, and uh, man, it's extremely thorough. You don't, I mean, I, there was another one that just came out today from uh, eWeek, Stephen Von Nichols, and mm -hmm. uh, real thorough review and everything for what most reviewers do, but when I looked at yours, it was kind of like, wow, this guy's got multiple pages, <laughs> multiple screenshots, goes really in-depth. Uh, is that is that pretty much your standard for doing reviews on Med Penguin? Yes, yes. Um, I mean, most of the reviews that I read online, I just I can't stand. They're they're not worth the time reading, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but um, you know, our our goal is to 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 do the most thorough job that we can do. So um, you don't want you to know, do reviews like the kind of reviews you hate. You want to do reviews like you the kind you like. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm not a pro at it. I mean, I just get out there and I try to spend as much time as I can with the distro. Y'all generally spend a couple weeks. And that distro will become my workstation for whatever period of time I'm using it. And, uh, you know, I'll just, as I go along, I'm writing. So sometimes my reviews might just seem like they're a bunch of, you know, disjointed thoughts all strung together. And that's because they are. That's what I do. So I end up with, you know, in open office, I've got 15 pages of text, and I have to, you know, get that all down to, to six or seven, and then it formats for the web. I think it turns into, you know, four or five generally. And nevertheless, so. your your uh, ten dot one review that got uh, hit by dig dig dot com got yeah. it, and you went up. Uh, last I checked your site, I think it was one hundred thirty five thousand uh, page hits. It happened for that review alone. Is that yeah? What what do you know what the count is at at this point? What's it last you checked? Uh, last time I looked at it, um, I think it was this morning, and it was at one hundred and fifty something. I'm kind of depressed that it hasn't gone any higher. I figured it would go higher than that. Um, the, I think we did the highest we've ever gone. At least something that I've written was the SUSE 9.3, and that went up over 300,000. Wow. Okay. So it, and it went fast. And why? So is it SUSE Linux that's going so big on that? Why? Well, the only two distros that I've ever reviewed that have gone that high are SUSE Linux and Ubuntu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly, but yeah, heck with them. Um, they've all gone, you know, 100, 200, 300,000 reads, and I think. You know, in, in SUSE Linux, in, in its uh, in its favor, I mean, it's it's dead easy to use. I mean, it, it's a sexy distro. It's simple to use. The install is is I mean, a monkey could probably do it. So I think it has a lot of allure to people. In your you know? your review, you mentioned that you uh, might be cutting over to SUSE Linux. What have you been using? Um, I've been using Slackware for about I don't know about five years. There's going to be some extent. grins on people's faces hearing Slackware. <laughs> Yeah, I know. You've had a lot of death threats because I've been talking about moving from Slackware to SUSE, right? <laughs> yeah. Have you made the jump yet? Have you actually jumped yeah. over? So, yeah, I actually have. So SUSE now is your distro of choice? Yes. And uh, the funny thing is, is I don't know what you guys did to us. Um, I'm thinking that there's there's some sort of brainwashing thing going on or, or you you put something in my water. I don't know. XGL but actually has a little uh, like subliminal message <laughs> that flashes at you so fast that you can't tell. But it's well, I mean... The thing is, is I switched over, and uh, also the the two other main you know uh, characters that I work with, uh, Fred Blaze and uh, Narayan Newton, they've both also switched over, 
And uh, Narayan is doing work for you guys, as a matter of fact, all of a sudden. That's why I'm saying I think you put something in the water. He's working with you guys, uh, helping to write a KDE version of the ZenWorks updater, okay. little applet. Um, so he's working on that project for you. And then Fred Blaze is also doing uh, work for you guys, doing some, I think he's done some things in the cool, was it cool tools? and uh, Cool solutions. Uh, yeah, the cool solutions. He's in there. He's actually got a little web page on your, on your site. Oh, that's awesome. So, Great. And we've all cut over. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, so I mean, it's all at once. I mean, I'm, I'm asking the guys today, I said, well, aren't you guys using the same software? And they're going, yeah. So I, I, something's, got, something's weird. I mean, all of a sudden, we've all switched over. I don't know what happened there. So what was it that won your heart in particular? What was it about SUSE Linux? Uh, is there any specific feature, any particular part of it that you just kind of knocked your socks off, and that's where you, where you lost well, it? Well, it's, it's a, it's a two-way thing. It's... Back in the day when I first got into Linux, I was my first uh, experience with Linux. I think was Red Hat six something. It was it was quite a while ago, and I installed it. And I was a Windows guy at this time, you know, knee deep in it. And I installed Red Hat, and I hated it. It was, it was the most horrible thing I've ever used. You know, I'm like, oh my god, I've got to I've got to rewrite it, or I've got to work on this text file just to get a damn modem to work. You know. And then uh, I dumped that, went back to Windows, and I heard about SUSE Linux. I think it was eight. 8.0, 8.1, somewhere in that range. And I tried it. I actually bought a copy of it, and I installed it on my machine, and that was it. That's what did it. I don't, I don't know. It was just the look and feel of it, the way it worked. Uh, everything that I needed, I could do on that distro. It just felt right. Um, nothing really technical. It was just a feel thing. It just, I felt at home. Um, so as I've been reviewing these, these releases, I mean, it's, that's why I said it's kind of got a soft spot for me. And when I saw 10.1, I mean, the install has gotten smoother. Uh, the desktop works beautiful. Uh, there's a ton of software available out there now for it. So it's just me. And, and it ran fine, too. I mean, like, the speed of the thing was pretty good. And, you know, I hate to say it, but up until this point, SUSE has been kind of like a, a hog compared to other distros like the ones I was used to using, like Slackware, for instance. And 10.1 is where it suddenly just came to life for you then? Yeah, my machine. I mean, maybe I'm just seeing some, you know, oddball stuff, but yeah, it just it sprang to life on on this release, and it just ran well enough to where I was ready to switch. Great. One little side question. Thought about as you were saying that you mentioned in your article some things about XGL. Mm -hmm. Eye candy? Is that all it is, or no. does it have more to it? XGL, 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 XGL. <laughs> um, no, it's not all about eye candy. I thought it was at first, but it's not. And that's what I mentioned in the review is most of the features, 9 out of 10, they actually have like a real-world purpose. At least to me, they did. Right off the top of my head, like the, uh, the cube, for instance. The cube thing seemed kind of cute at first, and I'm thinking, well, I probably won't really use this thing at all. But I ended up using it a lot. I mean, it's pretty functional as far as like finding apps, um, switching back and forth between desktops, and it's smooth. Right down to, I think it was a 32-meg card I was using on one of the machines. And uh, I was completely blown away that it still worked. <laughs> the translucency thing where I can be working in an open office document, like doing a review of, of the software, for instance, and let's say I've got a web page underneath it that, that has feature listing or something to that extent. I can roll my mouse wheel, you know, drop the translucency of the window and see what's underneath it and then go back to my document. 
on the same token, I can grab the edge of the edge of the window and peel it back. It's almost like taking a page and pulling the page back and looking underneath it and dropping it again. Yeah, you had a screenshot on that one there. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> hey, you got the floor with us right now. Some of the Sue's engineers are going to be listening in on this, and mm-hmm. as a reviewer of it and somebody that's living on it now, is there anything that you think that we should still be working to do better with the distro, like stuff we should pay more attention to, features we should add, or anything like that? Well, one that comes immediately to mind, and I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, is a package manager is broken six ways till Sunday. It doesn't work very well. Um, once you start adding repositories, it just it slows down to a crawl, and it's it's generating errors, and it's it's being a general pain. But um, like I said, I'm sure you guys have seen it. I've seen it all over the net since the since the release of the software. Yeah, there have there, um, there have been a few people that have mentioned that here and there. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm figuring. Uh, I was surprised you guys haven't fixed it yet, but I figured that'll be coming soon enough. Yeah, I would expect um, a patch for that pretty soon. Yeah, so. I mean because everywhere I turn, I'm seeing it. So I'm like, well, I'll fix that. Uh, the other thing, I mean, overall it was it was a pretty good experience. The only other thing I could think of off the top of my head, and I also mentioned this in review, was you've got. Uh, for control panels, you've got your control center proper, and then you've got YAST in the little menu there. And um, I think those should be combined somehow because it's a little confusing. Like if I was a new user and I didn't know much about Linux or whatever, YAST means nothing to me. I mean, it's it uh, now control center does mean something, so maybe have one link that says control center. When you click it, it asks if you want to go into the user section or system-specific settings or something like that. That might make more sense. Got it. Um, so you see sort of a, there's a disparity in the experience there. When do you go to one, yeah. when do you go to the other? That's, I mean, that's not a big thing, obviously. It's a very small thing, and, and there's probably a million people out there that disagree with me. You know, that's the way it always is. But that's one thing I could think of that comes to mind. The other one that I think you guys are pretty much covered is Windows networking. I think in this release, Windows networking has gotten a little bit better, too. And you know um, what? That's pretty good that you mentioned that because we got uh, Jeremy Allison coming up later on in the uh, mm-hmm. very show that this is going into. So, beautiful. Yeah. So he's actually the guy that did some of that work. Yeah, that's um, that's a big thing, and you know I hate to say it, and we all know it. There's a million Windows machines out there, and I've mentioned this before in reviews, and people say, well, you know, why would we worry about Windows machines? We want to focus on Linux. But you know that the fact of the matter is, there's you know, 90-some-odd percent of the world is running Windows, and you need to be able to communicate with them. If you don't, then you're, you're etching yourself out. So being able to, being able to interop, interoperate with them is, is the way to go, at least for the time being. I think this release has gone a long way. Uh, I was actually able to join a domain and, and connect with everything and shares and printers and you name it. I was on the network. Yeah, so uh, last question for you. We've got a, a reviewer cycle coming up where uh, I, I talked to our press guy, and he said that uh, they're going to be sending out some of the SUSE Linux Enterprise desktop uh, version 10 stuff, the stuff that's coming up in July. Are you interested in getting in uh, on the review cycle on that and checking that one out? Of course. That's the one that has XGL built in, right? And it's got XGL built in. It also has the new GNOME interfaces to it, some different uh, menuing systems and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the screenshots of that. Yeah. Very nice-looking stuff. It has, like, the search built into the main menu and all that. Yes, it does. Yes, saw that. All right. Well, there. thanks very much for letting us talk to you for a few minutes, Adam. Not a problem. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. All right. All right, it's now time to check out the headline act. Let's find out what's going on with Jeremy Allison, the guy who's over the Samba project. Jeremy can describe what Samba is way better than I can. And in fact, Jeremy is so good at describing things that I actually decided that I needed some help in doing this interview. So we brought Aaron Quill in, and Aaron Quill and I, uh, for lack of a better term, double teamed Jeremy Allison to get this interview. Here we go. 
And in the studio with us now, we have Jeremy Allison joining us. And Jeremy is one of the founders of the Samba Project. Rather than do the interview, we I actually tried to do this interview once before and realized that uh, besides the fact that we lost the interview, apologies, Jeremy, we probably need to get more than one person doing this interview because Jeremy's a man that needs to be controlled. So Aaron Quill's in the studio with me, Aaron. He's saying well, I talk too well, much. Yeah, I, I, actually, I want to point something out. I don't believe that losing the audio files of Jeremy's was our fault. Jeremy, you were starting to tell me earlier that you have some curse going on. What, why? You stored him on a Samba share or something? Or? <laughs> 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 he got himself. Wait. Wait, Chris DeBona lost gonna be a lot easier. Chris DeBona lost an interview of you, correct? For, John Mott Walker weekly. lost an interview. Who, yeah. who was it? John Mott Walker for his podcast for IDG lost the interview. So you guys losing the interview is just, you know, it's just... It's, it's par for the course. Yeah, but but we, have, we have the advantage. Maybe he's an audio vampire. Maybe that's it. <laughs> but we have the advantage that you now work Now I have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's, let's, before we even get into the Samba Project... Let's hear the story of how how'd you come to Novell. Why why are you here? Okay, so uh, I was working for HP, uh, and I was doing Samba for them, various Samba related projects, and I, I really like working for HP. HP is a lot of fun. Um, the only issue with with working for a big vendor like that is that they don't really care whether they sell um, Windows or Linux on a box, um, so long as you're buying HP hardware. So, you know, there's, there's some tensions there between the Windows and Linux side, but, um, so I, I was You're working clearly the, one of the Windows guys, right? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. so I was working in the Linux group, um, doing Samba stuff and, uh, my boss said, uh, somebody has to get a brain share and you're on the West coast, uh, Nivelle's brain share. And so you've got to go. And I, I'd never been before, but I had been to Provo. So I said, please, no, don't make me come. <laughs> um, but he said, no, you have to, you're the only person we have available. Go to brain share. Can you imagine so, being sent to Brainshare under duress? <laughs> yeah, so, so I went to Brainshare, and I was amazed. I was incredibly impressed. And, and so I, I feel quite embarrassed about saying I didn't want to go, because what happened was, you know, I mean, I knew Novell had become a Linux company, but I just didn't know how much. And, and so when I, I came there, and the first thing I noticed was that the badging software was running on Linux. Well, well, so hang on, what year are we talking about? Oh, God, this is a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, so this was a couple of years ago. We're not talking about last year. This was several years ago. Yeah, yeah. So the badging software ran on Linux. And I'm like, oh, my God. Because I, I, I've been to just about, well, I think I've been to every single Linux world. And, you know, they still, those guys still send out files. I, I got some files this morning uh, in Microsoft Word format. You know, everything is running on Windows. It's like, and so I come to BrainShare, and the badging software is running on Linux. And the email garden's running on Linux. And, you know, everything, all the presentations are being given in OpenOffice running on Linux laptops. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this, this, is, this is where I, you know, wanted HP to be. And, and I, I just, yeah, being, being kind of mean for a moment, I, I, I think Novell is one of the first companies that finally realized every dollar spent on a Windows license is being reinvested in putting us out of business, <laughs> you know, which is which is pretty true. And so then you wanted um, to, you wanted I, I, to, yeah. Come and I, here. I thought, and I got I got to talk to some of the netware people uh, and looked uh, at the products that they were putting out, the server products on Linux. And I thought, you know, this this really is 
where I should be if I'm going to do if I'm going to do file serving stuff. There's no better people who know about file serving than the NetWare guys. You know, this is where essentially this is where I need to come to learn stuff. Much threats and tantrums and pay me more money and you know negotiations later. Um, then then uh, I yeah. I joined, and I, I work out of my home in San Jose. Yeah, we can tell by the accent. Clearly clearly from somewhere in Santa Clara County, California. Definitely, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm obviously a California native. So, <laughs> so uh, are you working alone on this project? Do you, did no, you bring I, other people with you? or So, didn't bring um, other people with me to Novell, but I work um, collaboratively with the rest of the Samba team. And there are two other Samba team members in Novell, actually in Susie, uh, and they're Lars Muller and Gunther Deschner. And Lars, basically, if you've ever downloaded or installed Samba on SUSE Linux, Lars did the packaging for you. Um, and also Lars is, is doing a lot more of the internal code work. And Gunther is becoming our Winbind Windows integration expert and did most of the work on the SLED 10 desktop integration. Great. So let's, let's talk about what Samba is. Let's get the quick overview. Okay, so Which, how would you describe it? It's glue. Samba is glue. Samba is the glue that sticks Windows and Linux together. It, it, it basically is the thing that makes uh, Linux or other Unix boxes appear seamlessly as servers in a Microsoft Windows network neighborhood. So it talks natively the Windows protocols for file, print, and increasingly authentication. Okay. Um, so makes makes a Linux a box nutshell. makes a Linux box able to be accessed by Windows clients makes yep. uh, Windows cli- or Linux clients able to access a Windows server. Yeah, the, there are way. various there are various client parts of it. Some of that is actually being separately developed by Steve French in IBM, who is the person who's developing the SIFFS Linux file system that we ship um, in in SUSE Linux. So. Maybe we can get down to the name because you mentioned SIFs right there. You've also got the project name is Samba, and that's uh, I, I'm, I'm, I know that that's uh, server message block was what Microsoft's original protocol was. It's not Microsoft protocol. Okay, whose is it? It was created. I think it was by 3Com, yeah, Intel, and IBM. This was not a Microsoft protocol. Microsoft adopted it, took it. It was actually it was actually invented by a guy called Barry Feigenbaum in IBM who we actually met we invited him um, because Tridge who's the other founder of Samba the the smart um, part of Samba as I like to say he works on IBM and he found um, Barry and invited him to give a talk at the CIFS conference about the very very first version of this protocol and that was just such a great talk you know and uh, that, that was that was a lot of fun so it was called SMB for the longest time, and this is how Samba got its name. Just to um, play off SMB. Well, the original name was called SMB Server, and so uh, after we'd been using that for a few months, uh, well, actually a year or so, um, and we were starting to become popular, a company called Syntax came to us and very very politely, very nicely said, I'm sorry, we have a trademark, trademark on SMB Server. Will you please change your name? So... In the grand Unix tradition, Tridge did a, a grep for the letters S, M, and B in user uh, dict words on his um, sunbox and came up with Samba or Salmonberry. Um, and so we decided that Samba was a cooler name, and, uh, and so, so that's how we got the name. And that begins. That kind of begins this great tradition of open source dance projects like uh, Hula and uh, Tango and. Uh, I guess uh, I don't know. I mean, I can't samba. I wish I could. But, I hear um, declare it, it. It did. The 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 cool thing about about the name was that after we got really really popular, basically syntax didn't do so well. Samba completely dominated the market, 
And so Syntax gave up doing SMB development, doing their SMB server. And we actually ended up talking to the guy who sent us that letter many, many years later. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, I really wish we hadn't sent that letter now because Samba's a much cooler name. We should have chosen things. <laughs> and you sent back the letter reply that said, in your face. <laughs> well, they, they, they'd, already, they'd already sold the assets off by then because they weren't able to sell it because it's kind of hard to undercut free. But there you so, go. So, so back to Samba and Sips. Same oh, sorry. Thing, different yes. name. Yeah, the actual question we asked. So, so this happened at the, I think it was 96, 97, that time. Uh, this was at the time when, oh, web standards. We must have web standards. So Sun came out with this thing that, incredibly popular, I'm sure everyone's heard of it, because it died without a trace called WebNFS. Oh, this was the way that files were going to be shared over the web. Um, and so that had its 20 minutes of fame, and 20 minutes later, Microsoft said, we have one of those too, and it's called SIFS, which stands for Common Internet File System, uh, of which the only correct term is common, because you'd be insane to run it over the internet and it's not a file system. So, uh, yeah, that was how the name SIFS came about. So, so you mean Microsoft they just rebranded something inappropriately? It. They just rebranded it. It was called SMB. They issued a draft RFC and said, ah, we're going to call it SIFS now. So, you can use them interchangeably and, in fact, we usually do. So, so you mentioned something a couple minutes ago. You said somebody was working on SIFSFS? Yes, that's right. So SIFSFS is a Linux kernel module, a loadable file system, remote, just like the NFS client file system. Which And, and SIFSFS allows Linux servers to mount uh, Windows or Samba resources. But some of the cool things about SIFSFS are that because Steve is developing the client uh, and he know he basically we know when he's talking to a Samba server, um, what we started to do is to extend the SIFS protocol because there are some um, undefined areas that we um, essentially we have colonized and I've told Microsoft about. We've Essentially, we've agreed with them that these are our areas and they're called the Unix extensions. So what you get when you're using um, SIFSFS with Samba is you get Unix to Unix semantics on the wire. You don't get Windows semantics. So, for instance, Windows semantics are um, a file system is uh, case insensitive, so you can open a file by any case name. Unix is not. Um, so when SIFSFS is talking to Samba um, and you tell it you want the Unix extensions on, which are on by default, um, you, you get a real view of the file system, which is case sensitive. Um, you now get POSIX file locking. You get um, essentially there are a lot of optimizations that we can do when we know we're talking Unix to Unix, Linux to Linux. And the nice thing is, um, I was at Apple recently because I actually live not too far from their campus, and and they have a nice canteen, so I sometimes go and chat with people for lunch there. Um, and their client developer, who does the Mac OS ten. Um, SIFS client, um, he is going to be looking at putting the Unix extensions into Mac OS X because, of course, Mac OS X ships Samba as their SIFS server. So hopefully uh, we're going to extend this. We <clears throat> The next people on the list to try and get to uh, adopt this stuff are NetApp and EMC um, because essentially the only vendors that matter really in 
that really are, are out there in the world are Microsoft, NetApp, EMC, and Samba. I mean, they're really the only four major SIFS vendors. Because everyone else, NetApp and EMC have their own implementations. Microsoft has the canonical implementation, essentially. Uh, and then everybody else ships Samba. So so then SIFSFS kind of is like putting, uh, we might think of it as putting a namespace on a file system so that uh, um, at least it's, it's a term that we would use with NSS where that way that file system will appear as if it's a Unix-based file well, system. Well, it's locally mounted. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and the ACLs are what you would expect for well, Steve Unix. Well, Steve does lots of, yeah, we do POSIX ACLs uh, on the wire. Steve does lots of tricks when he's mounting a Windows server to make it look as close as possible to a Unix file system. Okay. Um, obviously, there are some things that you know you can't do when you're talking to Windows that you can do when you're talking to Samba. But and in that regard, it sounds almost like uh, the way the Samba project handles things is it's almost better than the way Windows handles it natively, just Windows to Windows, because it it does some of this Unix to Windows translation. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll do both basically. So um, you're probably not old enough to remember something back in the original SVR four. Do you remember something called RFS? No. No, never mind. Mm. He's, he's, been, he's been a geek longer than I have. So. All right. So, so RFS was AT&T's answer to Sun's NFS. And Sun's NFS V2, which is, was the uh, version at the time, is stateless. Uh, God, I sound, like, I sound like Grandma on The Simpsons. I had an onion on my belt. Which when was I was a, your age. Which was a style at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, they, yeah, I, I, I blogged <laughs> that about six or seven <laughs> times because so many of my blogs become these just weird rants. <laughs> And I did on my belt. <laughs> Which was the style at the time. <laughs> yeah, um, so w- it was NFS v2, and AT&T came out with something called RFS, which was stateful, uh, and basically was Unix-to-Unix Unix semantics on the wire. So, you know, the, as there's nothing new under the sun, essentially what we're doing is reinventing RFS by stealth, um, which is the same as the NFS v4 guys are doing. They're reinventing RFS by stealth as well. Uh, although we do have some advantages over the original RFS because we are able to do uh, client-side caching, i.e. op-locks, and, you know, we... We can do. It turns out that Microsoft added an extension to do very large read and reads and writes, but it doesn't work under Windows. Um, so Steve has added the capability. We can do massive. We can do 128k block reads and writes. The other cool thing that we can do, and and this is something I learned that the NSS, um, sorry, the NCP client does. So you know why is NCP so damn fast, right? Novell Core Protocol yeah, is yeah. what we're talking sorry, about. We yeah, say we're NCP, talking about a lot of our listeners are going to know exactly what that is. But yeah. I pointed out for anybody who's listening okay. more from the open source side and might not be familiar with Novell Netware and those kind of things. So so yeah, NCP is just really really fast. I mean, in terms of looking at the speed between Windows clients and NCP servers and Windows clients and Windows and Samba servers, NCP is just a lot faster. I think well, we should translate right there for the audience, Aaron, that uh, NetWare kicks ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, and the reason for that, one of the reasons for that is it will basically um, pipeline writes, reads and writes on the wire. So it will put more than one read and write on the wire at a time. I believe, so I'm not an NCP expert, but I, I believe this is how it works. And this is because, essentially, when you control the client and the server, you can do lots of extra cool things that you can't do if you're dependent on the Microsoft client code. So one of the nice things that um, we actually have a Google Summer of Code um, project um, that's being done on this is Samba has asynchronous I.O. built into the server side. So we can get a write or a read, and we can essentially 
flip that into the kernel and carry on processing processing other SMB requests. It's damn all use right now because the Windows clients never issue more than one read or write on the wire. So what I'm hoping is when the summer of code work uh, that a student is doing gets integrated with Steve Sif's FS, he's intending to do basically multiple um, simultaneous reads and writes. So because the the re- the really way to the way to do things really quickly and actually the Samba user space client code will do this is it will just fill up the TCP pipe with let's say you're transferring a 10 gig file or whatever. Uh, and you, the the service says I will allow 50 outstanding requests. It'll just send 50 writes, um, and then as a response saying oh I did that write comes back, it will then issue. It will keep the pipe full basically. Ah, in, okay. Uh, so a Linux client hitting a Samba server on the back end may be actually faster than a Windows uh, um, client after that. Just because yes, of after that. optimization. Yeah, because so that's of that a goal. Opti- that's a goal that you're that talking is, that about. That is a goal. The user space stuff that's in GNOME uh, and KDE right now already does this, but basically because it's doing this from user space, I I haven't done benchmarks on that, so I don't know exactly how much faster that makes things. But so th- this is an area of the protocol that we're currently developing. But like I say, you know, NetWare's already there. You mentioned a version. Samba's at which version right now? What, what's your current release and, and what are you aiming for? What, okay, so, what, so, what have you accomplished lately, I guess is probably so, so the production version is Samba 3. We're getting ready to release 3.0.23, uh, which has a lot of cool features, some of which were developed for Suzy Lake's Enterprise Desktop. Uh, the user share feature, which allows non-root users to create shares, the uh, authentication offline mode. This God, it's, it's hard to keep track. There's a lot of stuff that's going on. So that's probably where the most active work in Samba 3 is going on right now. Samba 4, Samba 4 is a complete rewrite. So Trish sat down, looked at the Samba 3 code and said, this sucks, I can do better than this, and essentially started the project again, sort of. Re- hit the reset button, start from scratch. And so so, so Samba 4 is really um, a research set of technologies right now. And the main goal for Samba 4, although, I mean, it, it, it's designed to do perfect SIF semantics for file and print serving. It doesn't do printing yet. Uh, that's what I mean by saying it's a research project. But the goal for Samba 4 is to do full Active Directory domain controlling, which means Kerberos, LDAP, all the pieces that Active Directory has. Now, Samba 4 right now will be an Active Directory domain controller up to the point where a Windows client can log in and thinks it's talking to an Active Directory domain controller. Oh, but cool. there's still a lot more to do. So that we understand the protocols that uh, that much. There's just so much more to do. There's the full Active Directory data model, there's group policies, there's replication, there's just a million more things to do. So it, it right now, essentially, Samba 4 is the research branch, Samba 3 is the production sort of heavy lifting file serving type branch, and, and we don't know what the ultimate release will look like, so I, you know, as I, I joke with Tridge, I say look, whatever it is we ship, we don't know what it's going to look like, but when we do active domain con- active directory domain controlling we're going to call it Samba 4. <laughs> okay, and and one quick question, just a philosophical question before we before we start on a wrap up here. But um, that brings up a really big one: why not just have a Windows server? Why not? You know what? And for that matter, also, isn't this just sort of capitulating to you know Microsoft's dominance? There are a lot of people that like look at Wine and Crossover Office and things oh. and say, you know, well that's just you know that's just enabling the beast or whatever. How do how do you? Um, there is some truth in that. Um, but you have to look at 95% of the desktops out there. 
And yes, you can say, no, we're doing something better and it's different and it will only talk to ourselves. And then you look at 95% of the desktops out there. Uh, and, and so this is like NFS v4. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love those guys. I love torturing them, you know. But NFS v4, in terms of file system protocols to the desktop, is a complete irrelevance. NFS v4 is a back-end server-to-server kind of thing for doing databases, you know, server... Uh, basically, back-end server stuff. Distributed file systems on a back-end server stuff. To the desktop, SIFS, SMB, is what's there. So if a Linux desktop is going to fit into the desktop world, the desktop world talks SIFS. If you're an IT department, you're not going to put two protocols going down to the desktop. That's unfortunately what NCP ran into. Yeah. People don't like having two protocols going to the desktop. And if you've got Windows there, it's already talking SIFS. It has to talk SIFS. So what we're doing is we are basically fitting better into that world. And yes, there are parts of that world that we don't like, but hey, it's the real world. So we're, <laughs> we, we're really we live there. You're really talking about two things there because you're talking about first on the server having the ability to appear um, somewhat as if a Microsoft server so that all those workstations out there, you know, 95% that are Windows right now, we can talk natively to them yes. without adding an additional client or anything. And on the other side, kind of what you mentioned is I can now bring a Linux desktop into my environment, and if there's already Microsoft shares out there, I can, you can use take them. advantage so of those shares and get my corporate shares. data. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the goal is complete interoperability, but it's, it's real interoperability. Uh, and, you know, so, so Microsoft has been on a big push recently about, oh, interoperability, we do interoperability. But um, there's there's talking about it and then there's doing it. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I must admit, I, I, I do enjoy... Uh, so Bill Hilfe is, is Microsoft's uh, evangelist on this. Now, I do enjoy torturing him at the Linux World shows where he, where he comes and gives talks. Um, because... You know, they can talk about interoperability all they like, but they don't turn up to the SIFS conference, <laughs> you know, which is the, the main file-sharing protocol conference where everybody tests interoperability. Microsoft don't send any engineers. In fact, they don't send anybody. They don't turn up to it. You know, Connectathon, where everybody tests interoperability. Um, I, I, I think I saw them there once testing Kerberos, and that was about it. They just don't turn up. So, you know, it's... It's great to do slideware about how they're working on interoperability, but you know, to actually make it work, you need to have engineers turning up to conferences and actually working with other engineers from other companies. Especially when those conferences involve talking about the standards and how people are going to interoperate. That's right. And the whole point is to get to 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 essentially make standards. Nobody, you know, nobody thinks that Microsoft will stop sort of developing new stuff or, or wants them to stop developing new stuff. But what would be nice is if at least we could agree on a certain basic set of standards for interoperability. Sure. And at that, at that point, let's, let's, uh, let's conclude this with uh, talking just a real quick throw a bone out there to developers or whatever. People that have heard a little bit of what you're saying on this, how do they find out more information about where Samba's going and how do they get involved if they're developers and want to start hacking against Samba? Well, we have a website. Haha. Uh, just like everybody. Samba.org. Um, Samba.org. And we have uh, we have uh, news.samba.org, which is basically Lady Samba News, where you can find out about talks that the Samba team folks are giving. Uh, you can actually read my, my column, um, which I, I do a monthly column for a Linux user and developer magazine in the UK. Um, it's not a blog um, because people have to pay to read it. 
because um, I don't do blogs, because I think bloggers are uh, the scum of the earth. So, uh, ouch. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, these are people with far too much time on their hands, sort of spewing their verbiage out into the ever-increasing pile of garbage that is the World Wide Web. So, you see, people pay for my stuff, and then after it's been published in print, then I graciously allow people to read copies of it online. That's, you know, that's that's my opinion on it anyway. Um, so I don't have a blog, but you can read my columns there. Um, and also, if you want to get involved, uh, honestly, really, I'm not usually this um, snotty uh, online. I'm... I'm uh, I'm just teasing them there because I know he, he was being I, I know he blogs. Well, I just um, can't wait until Todd or Todd, whatever your name is, Ted blogs about the irrelevancy of this <laughs> of blogs, yes. irrelevant blog. Yes, um, exactly. So, um, those of you if, who heard about uh, Jeremy's interview coming up on my blog, <laughs> <laughs> time wasters. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, we also obviously have the code available because we're a GPL product project. Everything we do is under the GPL. Uh, we're actually helping sort out the GPL v3 right now, uh, but that, that's a whole other podcast. So there are mailing lists to join. There's even an IRC channel, which I, I, I do join, but I really hate using because I'm, I'm kind of a little old for IRC. For me, having using IRC is like having a television on in the room when you're trying to work. You know, it's like, you kids, get off my lawn. But there's IRC channels, there are mailing lists, so the easiest thing to do is to join the mailing lists and get a good spam filter because, unfortunately, a lot of Windows users are on our mailing list because it's a Windows-focused product, uh, and so we get a lot of spam for Viagra and people sending us GIST files, which have interesting attachments in there that, if you were running Microsoft, would probably infect you. Uh, so get a good spam filter, join the uh, join the mailing lists, and and essentially just just ask questions because we are pretty much a friendly bunch. We're we're not you know. Uh, I, I would say we're probably one of the friendlier open source projects. We're not. We're not like the Linux kernel mailing list where you ask a question and people say, "You idiot! I'm going to rip your head off." I think you know? this is the part where we jump on them and tackle them. And- <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Someone who just went on this big diatribe about hating modern methods of communication, like that irritating blog in IRC, is talking about how friendly he we is. Are. To we're incredibly with. friendly. And let me give you, know? you a few words about podcasts <laughs> as well. <laughs> oh yeah, podcast. God, Apple iPod using losers. What a waste of time this is. But there you go. Um, <laughs> if, you're looking for, if you're looking for more information, all the links for this particular interview will be on our website, www.novell.com forward slash open audio, where you can find the links to samba.org, to also Jeremy's articles uh, online. And all available in the Og Theora, a nice open audio format. Exactly. exactly. Aaron, did you have any last wise guy clips? I, w- I was just laughing that I love it when you turn on your announcer's voice. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. This is the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes no our... Novell <laughs> Open Audio. <laughs> Oh, man. Man, he's, he's kind of got the, the voice of the guy who does the voiceovers for DVDs. All right. In a world. <laughs> That's it. We're cutting off your microphones. We did get one tough question coming in, and Jay Martinez asks us, well, first he has a statement. It says, Jeremy and the Samba team have kicked down the gates and, and opened the windows of the Microsoft world for us Linux peasants. With a little smiley face. Then he says, but... And urinated in the gutters for them. Ha! Ah. Can he tell us the meaning of life? <laughs> Jeremy, what is the meaning of life? Have a good time all of the time.
Now, uh, that pretty much concludes our show for this week. But remember that you can go to our website and rate any one of our shows. Let us know what you thought about it. You can also provide comments. We love to get the comments because it tells us what we can do better about the show and also what we're doing well with it. You can go to www.novell.com forward slash open audio, and that will get you the website where you can rate the show. You can leave comments. You can also send us your requests for other topics you'd like us to cover or questions you'd like to ask upcoming guests at openaudio at novell.com. Remember that Novell Open Audio is a production of Novell Users International in conjunction with Novell and is guided by the feedback and input of our listening community. Thanks very much for listening. Remember to have a lot of fun, and we'll see you next time.